Podiatry Today podcasts, where we bring you the latest in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, the Managing Editor for Podiatry Today. And today we welcome back Dr. Robert Smith, discussing his experience with opioid harm mitigation. Dr. Smith is currently in private practice in Ormond Beach, Florida, and was deployed to Iraq as a member of a medical team that created, established, and operated an inpatient and outpatient pharmacy for military and civilians from 2013 to 2016. It's a great pleasure for me to share my insights for risk management and mitigating risk opportunities for opioid prescribing within the context of our podiatry profession. So to start, Dr. Smith, could you share a little bit with us about why this topic has inspired you to take up the campaign of conducting research and writing articles, participating in continuing education and presentations? I know that you've done so with not only podiatric physicians, but also in the allopathic, osteopathic, nursing, and pharmacy communities. Opioid analgesic risk management and medical errors hit my family directly while I was deployed. Um, A mid-level provider to my father as he was suffering from squamous cell carcinoma of the prostate as well as the lung refused to refill my father's long-term extended release oxycodone after it was stolen on day 24 of his 30-day prescription. And this was in 2016. Uh, When she was challenged by this over the phone by me from the Middle East, I pointed out that she violated his uh, control substance agreement. And she subsequently, in retaliation, fired my father from the practice. And so after some other discussions and phone calls to the supervising pain specialist, my father was transitioned to morphine extended release product and the mid-level provider ceased to work for that particular provider. Now the prescription was sent appropriately to to his pharmacy, but was again delayed uh, by insurance and statutes for six days because of having to be ordered according to the pharmacist. And to a tragedy, my father passed away on the fourth day without having any pain medicine. Now, secondly, when I returned from deployment, I observed patients, friends, peers, and the community was affected significantly uh, with the aspects of all the opioid crisis, uh, whether they had opioid use disorder, whether they had addiction, or whether they had inadequate pain control. So therefore, Dr. Spector, my hope is that our conversation will be a basic information focused on risk management and action items that the podiatric physician can do. I would like to offer this audience information, observation, interactions, and action steps for when we are prescribing opioid analgesics as podiatric physicians. So on that note, Dr. Smith, could you share with the audience some potential risk management strategies when prescribing opioid analgesics? So first of all, let's look at the concept of risk management and as it pertains to opioids. When prescribing opioids, it empowers a prescriber with the necessary tools so that they can adequately identify and deal with potential risk of the opioid analgesic itself. Once a risk has been identified, it then can easily be mitigated. And in addition, risk management provides 
the opioid prescriber with a basis upon which they can undertake sound decision-making. For a prescriber, assessment and management of risk is the best way to prepare for eventualities that may come down our way um, as we progress and grow. And when a prescriber evaluates its plan for uh, handling potential threats and then develops structures to address them, it empowers and improves their odds of becoming a successful opioid prescriber. In addition, progressive opioid prescribing risk management strategies and mitigating tools ensures risk of a high priority are dealt with aggressively as possible. If we turn to the opioid epidemic, uh, we know that each year millions of people are treated for a variety of serious medical conditions with uh, prescription drugs whose therapeutic benefits can alter behavior, mood, and consciousness. And this is particularly true in the management of acute and chronic pain, which involves the use of opioid pain relievers. And that yes, we are, as a profession, knowledgeable of misuse and abuse of prescription opioid pain relievers. And that yes, it is on the rise. Now there is uh, new data out uh, this month that says that uh, actually the amount of opioid prescription overdoses are indeed uh, waning and is slightly decreased of what it was in uh, October of 2020, whereby it was reported by 40 states because of the COVID-19 pandemic overshadowing the existing opioid epidemic that uh, these states reported an increase in opioid-related deaths. We are all familiar that 78 people die every day from opioid overdose in the United States, that 60% of drug overdose deaths involve opioids, and that 50% of all opioid deaths involve a prescription. Further, the rate of opioid prescription does not appear to have a direct effect on the number of prescription overdoses. And up to 92% of opioid abusers use prescription uh, uh, opioids at least once in a year. And that opioid abuse costs the United States $78.5 billion annually in the form of healthcare costs, legal programs, and loss of productivity. Pharmacies up until last year filled 153 million opioid prescriptions. And that's enough prescriptions for 46% of Americans to have received at least one opioid prescription. Dr. Smith, what about some references or resources? What are some options out there that podiatric physicians can utilize? The podiatric physician may appreciate some of these references that are available and that we as podiatric physicians can utilize to assist us in opioid prescribing and mitigating harm. I started the track out on writing a didactic article on a review of opioid analgesics for JATMA in 2006. And most recently, a great article describing non-opioid multimodal analgesic therapy after bunionectomies uh, was published in JATMA. I like to use a didactic, clear-cut legal text known as the origins of narcotic control. There are sociological and society history of drugs in America. Now, most recently, I've been intrigued 
by Libby's work uh, published in 2008 with the title of The Criminalization of Medicine, which gives a um, very uh, direct, objective narrative on where we have come over the last 40 years um, as a nation and how physicians are treated and in an attempt on the war on drugs that indeed most physicians are looked at uh, kind of sci-eyed by law enforcement and they have red flags that they use, um, which in all intents and purposes uh, criminalizes medicine. And then uh, most recently, as for pleasure reading, I'm reading Empire of Pain, which is the uh, history of the Stackler dynasty. And as your listeners know, the Stacklers, who are brilliant physicians and uh, marketers for uh, the company Purdue Pharma. And it's not only found in our podiatric literature, foot and ankle um, literature, but it's also found in allopathic, osteopathic, and nursing literature. What about more practical, clinically oriented tools and recommendations? We do use a uh, opioid risk tool. There are many of them out there. They are now standard of care that we do use opioid risk screening tools to challenge ourselves and to develop total score risk category for opioid misuse, disuse, and abuse. We are all familiar of the use of using prescription drug monitoring programs. And for your listeners in Florida, uh, just received an eForce uh, newsletter that states that we are now able to access the prescription drug monitoring program from out of state. And once all the states are on board with this, I believe this will enhance and empower a prescription drug monitoring program to uh, talk to state insurance programs, healthcare licensing boards, state health departments, law enforcement, as well as continue uh, the dialogue electronically with pharmacies and healthcare providers. And then we can always look at the CDC. They have a number of opioid prescribing mobile apps which can be downloaded on our electronic device that helps us calculate morphine milligram equivalents that allows us to prescribe with confidence opioid prescribing and then allows us um, avenues in which we can enhance our monitoring and facilitate open dialogue with our patients. Further, the CDC recommends a very simple mnemonic, ACDO, and it... Uh, recommends that prescribers use these strategies, A for assess. So we're going to evaluate the risk factors such as history of substance abuse disorder, respiratory conditions that could increase the patient's risk for harm uh, from opioid therapy. Then we're going to check, C for check, using drug testing like um, have been mentioned in previous lectures, and then using the prescription drug monitoring program that I just went over to uh, ensure that the patient is not taking too high of an opioid dosage or taking opioids in combination or with other drugs that could rise uh, their risk uh, for drug interactions and harm. And then discuss an open dialogue, asking the patient about their concerns to determine if they are experiencing any ill effects, such as nausea or oversedation or gait disturbances. And that takes us to observation or O. And we're going to look for slurred speech and we're going to look for abnormal gait. 
that's definitely a, a helpful recommended mnemonic. But do I understand correctly that you actually created a mnemonic yourself? Now, many of your listeners may be um, aware of uh, a mnemonic that I used and I created that I published in a number of journals uh, known as morphine, where um, morphine stands for eight different items that we as podiatric physicians and prescribers of opioids can employ to assist in mitigating harm. Using multimodal analgesic strategies, developing an opioid formulary, recognizing and reducing risk from the opioid harm, and then keeping in mind for potential deadly drug interactions, pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, and pharmacogenomics. And then always seeking help from pain specialists when needed. A pain management specialist can empower a patient's ability to function and improve their quality of life, always using informational technology since it's available. And then, as published in many podiatric uh, clinical-based journals, peer review articles, limiting the number of opioid doses prescribed uh, to a patient and continuing with the educational process, or E, for education uh, for multidisciplinary medical professionals, patient care, and patient caregivers, and with this, an emphasis with the expectations of both the provider and the patient. Dr. Smith, what's the current status of opioid analgesic prescribing harm when you're considering malpractice and blame? Yes, sadly, Dr. Spector. There is a change in who's to blame for malpractice and the opioid crisis. And here are some important details centered on malpractice and blame of the opioid crisis. A medical liability insurer found that specific painkillers are the basis of more medical malpractice drug claims involving drug errors than any other drug class. Further, research has shown that although opiates account for only 5% of all prescription drugs, they comprise 24% of medication-related claims. And these claims often involve overdose, as well as allegations that patients became addicted to painkillers. Over a third of opioid-related malpractice claims involve errors or failures during the follow-up phase of prescribing. That it was found that physicians commonly renewed prescriptions without appropriately monitoring them. Who's to blame? Well, in the media, a lot of focus has been on Purdue Pharma and the $10 billion settlement uh, proposed by the government. But in reality, that's been put on hold. And that's being furrowed out by uh, lawmakers as well as the courts. Uh, most recently in 2021, McKinsey Company, who promoted opioids, specifically OxyContin, also had a lawsuit. They were found guilty of uh, having an open the door to more, uh, more lawsuits that involved promoting and selling of opioids. Now, interestingly, Two states, Ohio and Florida, in 2020, decided to file suits with pharmacies that dispense opioids in large numbers and large amounts, um, as they have tried to um, also bring distributors and wholesalers uh, to task. 
There are three common claims in opioid medical malpractice litigation. One includes lack of medical necessity. So some plaintiff's attorneys are alleging that their client were prescribed opioids that were not medically necessary and either because no treatment was indicated or because an alternative non-opioid treatment option was available and not employed. The second is overprescribing of opioids. These claims alleging overprescription of opioid medications are common and this includes claims of unnecessary relying on opioid medication for treatment of pain and other conditions, overdosing individuals, both in inpatient and outpatient settings, and failing to reduce a prescription when indicated. And lastly, failing to monitor. Once a patient has been prescribed an opioid medication, Failure to monitor the patient adequately for signs of dependency or even investigating refill history or refilling a prescription prior to refilling it con was conduct of inadequate assessment of the patient, which also is a basis for medical malpractice uh, within the context of opioid prescribing. Now, when insurance uh, reviewed claims, they found that 35% of claims were the result of an error in the ordering process. Then 31% of the claims were a result of the administration of the opioid, and then 31% occurred because of management and monitoring errors. So if you're looking at the claims and adding them up, we as the prescribing opioid prescriber, uh, the podiatric physician taking care of someone's pain, could account for 66% or two-thirds of the malpractice claims that are brought against providers. What other trends are you seeing as far as opioid-related medical malpractice claims? There is a significant spike in medical malpractice lawsuits involving opioids, including claims involving drug errors, as previously mentioned, and negligent prescription, also previously mentioned. Not only can a neglect prescription harm individuals, but it also can harm the families, and it also contributes to the flood of opioids into the black market. Medical malpractice can be proven even if the healthcare provider didn't break any law. Ultimately, many cases come down to a judgment call relying on expert witnesses to establish that the prescribing physician's judgment was poor enough to qualify as medical malpractice. And some of the ways that a provider can commit malpractice through overprescribing of opioids includes failing to take an adequate medical history, misdiagnosing a medical condition, failing to refer the patient to a specialist when appropriate, especially when the doctor lacks the experience in treating the particular condition, and deviating from the standard treatment for medical conditions without a justifiable reason. And then finally, ignoring previous addiction problems that the patient may have had to alcohol, recreational drugs, or the use of prescription narcotics. So Dr. Smith, what about the regulatory agencies? Have you noticed any changes in behavior and approaches when it comes to assigning blame for opioid analgesic harm? Well, yes, Dr. Spector, there has been a change in the behavior of regulatory agencies. Hence my interest in the 2008 criminalizing uh, medicine. And I believe podiatric physicians and other specialties may be at risk of being targeted in the future. There was a nice clinical-based, reference-based literature, primary peer review 
that examined U.S. news media and the increased number of opioid-related criminal charges against physicians from a wide variety of clinical specialties. The most common conviction of the crimes included drug trafficking, followed by fraud, money laundering, and manslaughter. Yes, manslaughter. What this literature research showed was that uh, in 1995, there were zero offenses reported in the U.S. media, but 42 were reported by the U.S. news media in 2019. It involved 372 physicians, uh, defendants, where 90.1% were male, 27.4% were 65 and older, and alarmingly, and unfortunately for my state of Florida, 23.4% were Florida defendants that were charged. Clinical specialties included 68.4% who practice internal medicine or family medicine or pain management. And again, I want to drive this home that drug trafficking was the most commonly convicted crime, accounting for over 54.2% of all convicted cases, and then fraud, then money launderer, and then 5.6% cases of manslaughter by prescription. And the terms, the sentences handed out, 85% average prison term was 127.3 months. Since I'm sure that podiatric physicians wish to protect their patients from opioid harm and protect themselves from these poor practices, what are some strategies that podiatrists could use to mitigate this? Well, Dr. Spector, here I'd like to share with your audience some more mitigating strategies when we are looking at uh, prescribing an opioid analgesic. I always turn to the five best practices when we prescribe opioids, and I've discussed this in other um, programs, but we use a universal precaution approach. We assess potential risk before prescribing. We use treatment agreements. We create a formulary and we use urine toxicity screening for our patients. Again, we can accentuate when we prescribe any medication, an eight-step approach, evaluate and clearly define the patient's problem, specify the therapeutic objective, select the appropriate drug therapy, initiate therapy with appropriate details, and always consider non-pharmacological therapies, a multimodal approach. We're gonna give information, instruction, and warning. So therefore, we're gonna always educate our patient, especially with our expectations and their expectations. We're gonna evaluate therapy regularly. We're gonna consider drug costs when prescribing, and we're gonna use computers and other tools to reduce prescription errors. When we're managing and monitoring, we're gonna use what's known as a 4A approach, analgesia, which is documented either by a numerical or a subjective pain scale. We're gonna look at activity levels like work duties, exercise, domestic chores, and leisure, always on the way uh, look out for the third A, adverse reactions or adverse effects. We're going to see if the patient has side effects, if their affect is different, if their personality is different, if there's differences in family dynamics. And then 
the fourth and last day. We're going to look for aberrant behaviors, as in misuse, abuse, and diversion. And most importantly, when we're looking at how we're going to reduce opioid deaths, we're going to assure medical necessity for all opioid prescriptions. We're going to use opioid agreements. We're going to screen and risk stratify patients. We're going to use prescription drug monitoring programs, titrate slowly. And if we decide to reduce or switch between opioids, we're going to taper appropriately. And we're going to make sure we use morphine milligram equivalents. We're going to be very cautious whenever we're using methadone. And we're going to require our patients to secure their prescriptions so that we decrease the likelihood of accidental overdose, accidental poisoning of small children, animals, and we're going to make sure that the tablets do not find their way onto the street. So we want to avoid diversion by having a secure storage area. We want to communicate to the patient that all opioid prescriptions are a trial and may be discontinued if the benefit does not warrant the risk. We want to provide and know that anytime we engage in prescribing an opioid medication to a patient who may die from the effects of the opioids can always expose both the pharmacist as well as the physician to criminal charges. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today? Now, Dr. Spector, my hope is that this podcast offered education in way of a presentation with the central theme of opioid risk management, risk assessment, and risk strategies to our podiatric colleagues so that when we do embark on prescribing opioids, we have strategies in place to warn off any type of risk that may be experienced by the patient, the patient's loved ones, or even ourselves. In doing quite a bit of research on uh, opioid risk management and malpractice, I have found that some insurance companies that deal with malpractice do indeed offer a supplemental opioid prescribing malpractice policies. And so I encourage the podiatric physician because in the context of the evolving standard of care, the point of view our profession may elect to embrace supplemental opioid prescribing malpractice policies from our carriers um, to help safeguard our professional practices, as well as allow for us to have a conscious approach when we prescribe opioid prescriptions. You've certainly given us a lot to think about, Dr. Smith, and we thank you as always for your expertise in this area. To the audience, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll see us next time on Podiatry Today podcasts. Don't forget to check out podiatrytoday.com, Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, and your preferred podcast platform for additional episodes. 